Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Supertalk.fm. That brings to a close Governor Tate Reeves' press conference on this Tuesday afternoon, the 28th of April. We welcome you to Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey, thanks for being with us. We remind you that the C Spire text line is open. That's the best way for you to connect with us during the show this afternoon. That number, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395 if you would like to be a part of the conversation. At C Spire, they're not just saying they care. They're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day from free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. Learn more at cspire.com slash cspirecares. Guys, what's up? Borky, how are you today? I'm doing well. So I think we might have our first sporting event officially official going to happen. Officially official going to happen. What would that be? It would be NASCAR. Now, okay. help me with the golf dates. Is there a golf tournament before May 25th? Because I know they have a set schedule, but is there one before that day? Uh, all right. Okay, so while I'm looking at that, are we talking about the Coca-Cola 600? Is yeah, that right? and I know we don't talk a whole lot of NASCAR around well, here, but uh, according to the governor of North Carolina, start. they are uh, seriously, I mean, that, that would get us to talk about it. But according to the governor... Uh, last name Cooper, don't know the first name. Uh, that race on Memorial Day weekend, the Coca-Cola 600, is going to happen, fanless, but it's going to happen. Okay. So yeah, the, uh, the first scheduled golf tournament is June 11th. June. I couldn't remember if it was May 11th or June 11th, but June 11th at uh, Colonial in Fort Worth. So Colonial Country Club, it's the Charles Schwab Challenge. It's been announced that that is going to happen without fans. In fact, the first four golf tournaments on the PGA Tour, uh, Colonial, uh, Harbortown, TPC River Highlands in Connecticut, and uh, Detroit, so the Rocket Mortgage Classic. If I remember correctly, it's those four that are going to start things in golf, and all four will be without fans, or at least that's how it's scheduled to happen right now. Right. So good. Uh, we have a date now. And again, we don't talk NASCAR much, but Monday, or not Monday, May 25th, I guess it would be Sunday the 24th, the day before Memorial Day, you will have a live American sporting event that you can watch that is not tape delayed or, or from 2019 or whatever, not a rewatch, none of that. A real live sporting event will take place and it's on the schedule and it's going to happen. I love it. I bet Gary really loves it. We're going to get Gary in here on that Monday, and we'll talk NASCAR until he's blue in the face, which might be (laughs) six, seven hours from the start of the show, but we'll do it anyway. Full preview. Full preview on that one. Wait, did you mean preview or wrap-up, Borky? I was thinking wrap-up. We can do both. I mean, it's the only sporting event going, so why not? Get him Friday, get get him Monday. This will likely be the first time in the history of this radio program that Memorial Day has not been a live show because for the decade-ish that 
I've been with you with the various cast of characters. Obviously, currently, it's Hey Dad and Rippy and Borky and me. Um, Monday after uh, Memorial Day has always been an important day because that's the day that the field of 64 was announced for the NCAA baseball tournament. And we're not going to get that announcement this day. I was just thinking, as you were saying, the Sunday before Memorial Day, it's a little sad that this year we won't be in Hoover, Alabama, watching perhaps Ole Miss or Mississippi State play for an SEC championship. Now, now take the debate about whether or not winning the conference tournament matters. Just take that debate and throw it off the side. I don't care. Um, still kind of cool when you see one of the teams from the state of Mississippi play for that trophy when it's all said and done. Hey, Dad, what's up? Not a lot today. Very easy. Yeah, I, I had a doctor's appointment over the phone. That was that's a first for me. I could have told her anything, huh? A little telehealth for you, I, I guess. And you know, she just asked a bunch of questions, and she's like, "So, how you feel?" I was like, I "Feel fine." I could have told her anything. I got, I'm growing a second head. You know what? What do you want me to do? Was it a video chat or just no? Audio it's just only. over the phone. Just over over the phone. So was this like a normal checkup? Yeah, I had scheduled it back in. Uh, no, no, I had, I had scheduled it back in January, you know, back before everything you know changed, and uh, they called me last week. They're like, "Hey, we're going to call you on, on Tuesday at nine thirty in the morning." I was like, "Okay." Were they an hour That's late great. just for nostalgia purposes? They were. They were fifteen minutes late. It was close, you know, close <laughs> enough. And uh, I, I said to my wife, too, "I was like, even over the phone, they can't they can't understand what an appointment is." And, uh, yeah, she asked me a few questions, and then she's like, all right, we'll try to see you this summer. I was like, okay. All right, hey, Dad, you're based in Starkville. What's happening in Starkville in terms of reopening businesses, getting back to work, guidelines, procedures, regulations, whatnot? Please tell me you're at least plugged in enough into your hometown that you know the answer to that. Well, from what I can tell, it, things are starting to open back up. But they did make the uh, we talked about it yesterday. They have made the uh, ordinance that you got to wear a mask. But yeah, I mean, just driving around today, and obviously, you know, the students aren't here. But it, it seems to be more traffic on the road these past couple of days than there has been in previous weeks. So I feel like you know the the, the wheels are turning of to get back to some state of normal. Yep, feels like it's happening in Oxford as well. There was a. Uh, a it wasn't a scheduled, it was an added Board of Aldermen meeting that happened at 2 o'clock this afternoon, and they voted on and I guess made a new resolution that all businesses in now there's still restric- uh, restrictions on in-restaurant dining and bars those are not open yeah. yet, but all previously labeled non-essential businesses uh, can open starting at 8am tomorrow, but they went back and they added a little bit of teeth to that, which with the essential businesses you had to wear a mask. Customers, employees, owners, pay you know everybody had to wear a mask and you know practice the six feet social distancing and cleaning inside and all those. They announced that in Oxford today. So uh, all small businesses uh, in Oxford, with the exception of restaurants and bars, at least as I understand it, uh, can open starting at eight o'clock tomorrow morning. But you're going to have to have a mask. So. Uh, Throughout the duration of phase one of the reopening plan in Oxford, which looks like it's going to be a couple of weeks from May 2nd, I think it'll be May 2nd and then a 14-day period from there, 
you'll be required to wear a mask. Everybody's going to be wearing a mask, so just get used to it. But if that's the price that we've got to pay to uh, kind of get the economy moving in the uh, the right direction, sign us up for masks. Let's do it. I'm in. Man, I'll wear a mask for the next two years if it means sports come back. I don't care. <laughs> a football stadium full of masks. Man, Is that you what can, we're trending toward? Yeah, and you can market the crap out of that. I'm surprised you haven't seen colleges do it yet. So the NBA, NFL, and NHL, I'm sure Major League Baseball's coming soon, you can buy masks online right now, and all the proceeds go to, like, what's the National Food Bank? I forget what it's called. Feeding America, I think. Okay. Um, anyway, the proceeds go to that. If I'm John Cohen or Keith Carter right now, I'm talking to somebody. to, to, and to You don't do it now because you don't want to try to profit off of the COVID-19 right now. But once we get to the point where fans are back in the stands, I'm marketing the heck out of some masks because people are going to buy them. Do you do do you do that or do you make them part of a game day giveaway <laughs> where it, where it's like a giveaway like uh, slap a sponsor C Spire right across the bow yeah I'm in put put C Spire on there and put an Ole Miss logo and uh, and go forward uh, Rippy some uh, some news out of Oxford today coming from Ole Miss athletics director Keith Carter. Um, says the the plan that they're working on is to try to bring student athletes back on campus starting July first. Now that's obviously not a done deal at this point, um, but it sounds like that's what they're working toward in hopes of an on time start to the football season. Yeah, probably not alone in that type of thinking in terms of like other athletic departments and other schools are at least aiming for something like that. Seems somewhat reasonable, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I'm still not – I'm kind of sticking with, with what I've said as we've talked for the last couple of weeks. I firmly believe that we're going to play an entire football season, that it's going to be a 12-game regular season with a conference championship game, and depending on when the season gets started, at least some of the bowl season in place. I don't know if – Shreveport's going to host a bowl game this year. I don't know if you're going to get the New Mexico Bowl in Albuquerque. Who knows? We'll wait and see on that. I believe we're going to play a 12-game season with a conference championship game and a college football playoff and some semblance of the bowl season. I'm just not convinced that it's going to start Labor Day weekend. Maybe it will. I mean, if they're able to get schools across the country, student-athletes back on campus July 1st, that gives you eight weeks which is probably, what, a, a two- to four-week acclimation period where it's just conditioning and maybe some mental stuff, classroom-type stuff, and then a month of, of fall practice leading into the start of the season. You know, if you're able to get across the country everybody back on campus in terms of student-athletes by July 1st, then you probably can have the on-time start to the season. If it goes to mid-July or if it were to go to August 1st, then I think that's where you're looking at a situation where Maybe we're mid-September or, or the 1st of October to uh, to start the college football season. But I'm growing more optimistic by the day. that Not so that I or you or anybody else can say, oh, yeah, we were right. We told you when this was going to start. That That's not the point at all. I'm just growing more optimistic that we are going to get a college football season. Yeah, and, and more important is we got aliens and nobody cares. Have you all seen this? 
Oh, it's in the no. notes, buddy. I care. I'm. It's yeah, and everyone's just like whatever. Like the and the. I've, if you actually read the news story attached, I'm not assuming you didn't. But the quotes from that guy, that the pilot, are just insanity. Yeah. Where he's like, I haven't been drinking. I've been flying for 18 years. I've never seen anything like this. They were. The, have you seen the video of this? Assuming they were oh, going okay. back the to Area 51, but I don't even know what that is. This is the UFO footage that was released yesterday or a couple of days ago? Yeah. Yeah. This is what everyone was trying to storm that mysterious place for. They wanted to see this, and now you get it for free. <laughs> Man, I am convinced. That mysterious place, we're talking about Area 51, right? Yeah. Correct. That's presumably where that thing was flying to. Yeah. I am convinced that they are slowly... You can't convince me otherwise. I actually believe this, not hyperbole. I think they are slowly releasing videos like this to ease the soon-to-be knowledge that aliens exist and they visit Earth. I think, And then they release one out of the cage. Seriously. Like they have in there. Like, they're going to do this every so often, that here's another video that we can't explain, and then a pilot's going to go on Joe Rogan, who was a, an Air Force pilot for two decades, that saw this with his own eyes and just can't explain it, and it's the fastest thing he's ever seen, and the movement is not something that we on Earth can develop, and we're going to keep having these little unravelings until we are comfortable enough to accept the news that they know aliens are real and there won't be mass chaos. That is my theory. You're not going to talk me out of it. Glad to have you well, with us go. on Coast to Coast. I'm George Norrie. Thanks for being with us <laughs> on this Tuesday afternoon. I don't have a mustache like George Norrie. But that video popped up again on my timeline as we were discussing football, and I just couldn't resist. It's crazy, yeah. man. It, it, the movements on it, and then the pilot's reaction to it, as Rippy said, that's what makes it scary, I guess, or really cool, depending on what side of the pendulum you swing. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. If you want to jump into the conversation, you can. Here we go. Wow, sports talk, Alex Jones. <laughs> Not exactly. Uh, Thomas in Greenwood says, so COVID came from aliens? Yep. That would make the Aaron most Meridian sense says, I say no bowl games. Let's just have a 16-team playoff this year and see how it goes. Might be a little aggressive, Aaron. Here's a question. We'll get to this when we come back. Does this mean student-athletes may be back on campus before other students? I think the answer to that is yes and no, but we'll dive into that when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming online at supertalk.fm, supertalktv.com on Periscope, through Twitter, and oh, everywhere else. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for being with us. So the uh, question that was on the table as we were going into the break was, does this mean student-athletes may be back on campus before other students? And I said the answer to that is yes and no. You'll remember that uh, Ole Miss in particular um, made a release that you know all summer activities were being canceled, which meant no, no sports camps, no educational stuff, all classes were online. They did actually follow up a day later, or maybe it was even later that evening, and said this does not apply to Division I athletics. So... Yes, technically, student-athletes 
if, as Keith Carter was laying out, in a best-case scenario, if they're able to bring them back on July 1st, they would technically be on campus before other students, but they would not be taking on-campus classes. Now, if they were enrolled in online summer school classes or in online summer school classes, they would continue those. They would just do it while they're in Oxford. But this would be in preparation for fall athletic seasons. So you're talking about football, soccer, volleyball. I don't know if men's and women's golf and men's and women's tennis would apply there since they have somewhat of a fall season. I'm not sure when uh, their practice times actually begin. Um, But obviously football, volleyball, and soccer begin earlier. So yeah, you would have those students. But that would be laying the groundwork for everybody coming back for the fall semester, I think. It's the best answer I can give you right now. Makes the so, most sense. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see where it, uh, where it all ends up. Um, we get another message that says, I don't think they can open campus to just athletes. I believe it's all or none. And again, what we just said a second ago, that would be in preparation for the fall athletic seasons, assuming that campus will be open for the fall semester for all students. And that announcement has not been made by Ole Miss or Mississippi State or the IHL at this point. And I don't know I don't know who that announcement's going to come from. If it's going to come from the individual universities or if the IHL is going to make one announcement that covers all of the colleges and universities that are under its purview, I, I'm not sure which way that's going to happen. Um, but I think you would only be able to bring – I think – you would only be able to bring student-athletes back at that date if indeed you were preparing for a fall semester with students on campus. Well, does that make sense? It does. And can't you open the campus and still have students taking online classes? So uh, right now, the plan is if you're taking a summer course, it's going to be online. But let's say when it becomes June and everybody's already enrolled and they've already started their summer classes – you can comfortably open campus again. That doesn't mean you're going to drop your the current structure of classes and tell everybody to come back and basically kind of restart. You can let them finish online and still have your campus open and operational and then welcome your athletes back to campus. So it doesn't – you can still have this distant learning and also welcome your athletes back to an open campus. I mean, just because the entire student population isn't there doesn't mean the campus is closed. And there have been people that have said, okay, the optics of that are not very good. Well, we'll see. But if you say, hey, we're open for business, but if you're already taking your class online, just continue taking your class online, and when you're done, come on back. Yeah, and you may have some dorms that are open during the summer. I don't generally think you have all of your dorms open in the summer anyway. I mean, I don't. They just don't need them because the campus is empty. I, I, I lived think, in a house in my, my summer after my freshman year, but I think the option was given to us. Yeah. You had to change. Oh, I would have had to change, true. though. I remember the opposite. I, unless it was, like, special occasions for, like, like kids, like, camps they hosted or something. I don't remember the dorms being open in the summer. I think it was on a limited basis because I, I do remember having a, uh, a buddy who had enrolled prior to our freshman year, so this was – Good grief, it was forever ago. It was the fall of 1999, summer of 1999, who he did live in a dorm on campus 
he didn't stay there a whole lot, but he technically had all of his things on campus. But it wasn't like all of campus was open because you have to get ready for the move-in for the fall when everybody moves into the dorms and whatnot. Paula sends us a message on the ceasefire text line. She says, you are cheering me up with your op- optimism. Thanks. Well, I hope it's not misplaced optimism, Paula, but I am uh, glad that uh, we're bringing a little cheer to you. I, I just, look, man, I may be so wrong on this, and if I am, so be it. I, generally speaking, don't go through life with a negative attitude where I'm just always looking at things glass half empty. I leave that to Michael Borky. Sorry. Sorry, that's not true. Borky's a little optimistic. We've talked about that. But look, I mean, there are plenty of places where you can get all the negativity that you want. And if I'm wrong on this, that's fine. I'll I'll raise my hand, say I was wrong, misguided, misplaced. I got a good friend who on March – I went back through some sports – some text messages. On March 15th, he said, we will not have sports again in calendar year 2020. And I said, man, I can't wait to tell you I told you so. Not because I want to be right, but because I want to be right. What's up, Mississippi, with you on this Tuesday afternoon? Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Experiencing fever, cough, sore throat, or shortness of breath? Well, we hope not, but if you are... C Spire and UMMC are partnering to offer free COVID-19 screening through the C Spire Health app for all Mississippians experiencing symptoms. Just download the app to quickly connect with a UMMC clinician right from your phone. UMMC can help diagnose your symptoms and assess whether you should be tested for COVID-19. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. Michael, I know there's a lot that is uh, more pressing in the uh, rundown today, but there is one story that grabbed my attention more than any other. I have so many questions and yet not uh, a ton of answers, and it has nothing to do, Rippy, with aliens. I'm sorry. I know the, the alien story was most interesting to you, but here's the one that's most interesting to me. Story uh, originates at AL.com. Two people were arrested for trying to steal over $600 worth of beer from Neyland Stadium. All right, hey, Dad, quick math in your head. $600 worth of beer. What are we talking about here in terms of volume? Gosh, I mean... 150 cases. 150 cases? Okay. Four bucks a case? $600. What what are you drinking, man? Even Beast Light's not that cheap. I I did that wrong. (laughs) Can we just call it $20 a case? Yeah, sure. So 30 cases okay. of beer. Divided by 20. Okay, so 30 cases of beer. My immediate thought was, good grief. How are they getting 30 cases of beer out? It's kind of hard to be inconspicuous when you're doing that. You need and a truck so, and you need a blocker. It's usually somebody in a, like a maybe a Trans Am or something like that. Like that's maybe real a dolly right there. What, 30 of them? Yeah, if you're taking 30 cases, that's real theft. However, yeah. that's you not exactly how this Arcana, Get the beer. <laughs> come back to Atlanta. It's easy. According to the Knoxville News Sentinel, five people were seen on security cameras inside the football stadium on Saturday night. Okay, so you got breaking and entering. 
trespassing, and you got theft. And we're assuming that we're talking somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 cases of beer. When police arrived, two of the suspects were carrying 24 beers apiece. Not 24 cases, 24 beers apiece. Here's where it gets weird to me. As the report points out, uh, report points out, beers at Neyland Stadium are twelve to thirteen dollars each. So the value of the beer, according to the warrant, was six hundred twenty-four dollars. That is so lame. I, that's gaming your own system to make the charges sound serious, more serious than they were. <laughs> that I mean, if you were an officer writing that report, don't you feel lame for writing that down? Two kids were stealing a case of beer each, and you're like, well, you know, they would have cost $13. It was actually 600 Get over yourself. At cost, that case was like 12 No, no, not even $12. A case of beer at cost wholesale is what? Less than 10 Yeah, I mean, probably 60 to 70%. I mean, like normal wholesale would be a, a you know a 100% markup. So if, if it cost you $10 at wholesale, at retail it would be $20. So, if you really want to factor in dollars lost, you're talking about two cases, and I think, generally speaking, the markup in convenience stores is not nearly, or grocery stores is not nearly as big as it is in, you know, other walks of life. Like, if you're buying a mattress or buying furniture or whatever. Um, so, so, let's just say it's, I don't know, 75. We'll call it 50%. That's fine. So... 10 to $12 a case, so we're really talking about $20 in actual theft, maybe $40 in actual theft, and in addition to, of course, breaking in, entering and trespassing. Yeah. They're nailing them, though, with a $624 value for 48 beers based on what they sell for in a football <laughs> stadium. I mean, come on, officer. Come on now, really think about it. I mean, so I, I've broken into half is, a dozen stadiums. In, no, it, more than that. God, probably about a dozen stadiums in my life. I didn't steal any beer, but I mean, come on, it's a victimless crime. Take the beer from them, it, make them show up in court, and then like do an hour of community service and let them go home. That's ridiculous. Rachel, they have Barber. to refer to this as like the street value of the beer. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> That's not even street value, though. It's it's like no, it's not. I'm just saying the stadium those, value those, of the beer. The, those cost the University of Tennessee a a dollar a can, and they just hit them with a 1,200 percent markup. <laughs> and uh, Chris and Oxford said that makes that it a beer? felony if He's it's thirsty, dummy. If it's over 500 bucks, right? That's absurd. Yeah. I, that's so that's ridiculous. My God. It's college kids breaking into a football stadium. Seriously. Come on. We're joking, and it's it's funny, but somebody is going to end up doing like six months to a year in jail because they stole a case of No, them. no, 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 no. That's they not what's going to happen. For it, but... A lawyer is going to get paid $5,000 to defend <laughs> them to get this thing knocked down to a misdemeanor, and they're going to have to do some community service. As you... I'm assuming they've already returned to the beer as well. I oh. remember in college there was a... I was out somewhere one time, and this wasn't in some, anyone I knew, but at the place I was at, some guy found a debit card on the ground and immediately became the most generous guy in the bar. 
And it became like a local story for a little bit. And just by happenstance, like the tab ended up coming like 12 or 14 bucks short of 500, which would have turned the case into a whole nother ball game. Ooh. Mm, I remember nice. 500 being the threshold. Was it with or without a tip? <laughs> I don't think he stuck around to tip. Like I, I think he probably started that thing, rang up, and then uh, probably just walked out after a while. I don't think he was probably closing out the card he found on the ground. All right, we do have a couple of other uh, extenuating circumstances here. First of all, both of these um, assailants were underage. Rachel Barber, 20, of Nashville. Spencer <gasps> uh, Ngumia, 19, of Osceola, Indiana, were arrested on burglary charges after admitting to crawling under the fence and attempting to steal the beer. So, there is another reasonable question that, uh, that pops up on the C Spire text line. How old was the beer? I thought about that earlier when I because you remember all the I, I don't remember which particular brand it was that made such a big deal out of born on dates like there was not a it, the, the day that this was put into the can was the born on date that was on the can or on the bottle of beer we haven't played football in a while so unless they stocked the stadium for the spring game which wouldn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. We're talking about beer that has been left in Neyland Stadium since November, probably. We're past the 100-day born-on date window, aren't we? And according to Google, six to nine months on average beer lasts before it starts going bad. But, I mean, in New Orleans, you can get two-for-ones of expired anytime you want. (laughs) Quote from the uh, Knoxville Sheriff, Buford T. Justice, who said, the Germans got nothing to do with it. I don't. I don't know what he meant. Uh, I don't know if this is a lawyer or if this is just an opinion. But here you go. Seeing as how Neyland Stadium is closed and the beer would be bad by the time it reopens, uh, the beer shouldn't have any actual value to it. Good point. Oh, and then we go here. Here's Deputy Dog chimes in. This is six zero one number. They committed a crime. They need to do the time. Deputy that's dog, really, come on, man. Nobody is like they're not getting cell number tattoos here. No one's doing hard time for five hundred bucks worth of beer. That's really that might about be what. Junior getting that one. He wants some hush yeah. puppies. Yeah, that's um, why we have different punishments for different crimes, though. And we're just trying to put that in perspective. No, these kids shouldn't like be celebrated and like held a parade, but they should sit have to sit in the back of a cop car for a while, scare them a little bit, like read their names to the dispatcher, it, like report it to the university even if you want to be that guy, and then send them back to the dorm and send them home. Come on. Or stick them in gin pop for an hour or two. One of the two. Yeah, just sit them in the drunk tank for a couple hours, and, and that'll scare them straight, and, and then send them on home. It, what are we uh, doing even if here? they hadn't actually had one? Yeah, I mean, I broke into a stadium, I guess. Like I, I wouldn't have been surprised the number of times I've broken into a stadium if I got thrown in the drunk tank have for a while. Have you ever been caught? You ever been yeah, caught at, for breaking into a stadium? At Georgia Tech. Oh, you didn't get in trouble, though, right? He just asked you to leave? Yeah, because he basically came up to us. It was me and one other person, and he was like, what are you guys doing? And we were on the other side of the, the gate, and I just said, hey, look, we're from out of town. I wanted to see Bobby Dodd. I'm sorry. And he ran my name and checked me for warrants, and since I didn't have one, he let us go on our way. Mike in Oxford says they should be forced to watch Tennessee football. <laughs> MP suggests that uh, they should have gotten the aliens to steal the beer for them. 
Darren says they weren't underage, they were over 18. Yeah, but the drinking age is 21 and the possession age is 21. Yeah, let's laugh at them and let them go. Breaking and entering is a crime. Oh, get over uh, yourself. This is the most exciting thing to happen at Neyland Stadium since 97-98. <laughs> and make them drink flat beers. Sports that Talk be Mississippi. We'll be right else. back. Billy McFarland. You remember that name? The convicted fire festival music festival fraudster. Yeah, the guy that sold the tailgate tents at the Ole Miss student section last year. <laughs> the uh... petition he petitioned a court earlier this month for compassionate release amid the COVID nineteen pandemic that is ra- uh, ravaging federal prisons. McFarland gained notoriety after documentaries about the botched music festival hit streaming services last year. He is currently serving a six-year sentence at FCI Elkton in Ohio, a facility that has been decimated by COVID-19 with 23 inmates in the hospital, 49 staff infections, and seven inmate deaths. On Tuesday, the government responded with a 64-page filing outlining why he should not be released. Hmm. Did you ever watch either of those documentaries? Yeah, I watched the one on Netflix. That was the better I, of the two, for sure. What was I watched it? Where was the other one? Both Hulu? multiple Hulu. times. The Hulu one actually interviewed McFarlane, though. The one, the thing yeah. I agree, the Netflix one was better done, but the Hulu one was more like the, the, uh, like it better outlined like the the financial implications and like how it like evolved into a crime, and then it also like evolved like showed him basically just being a pathological liar. Yeah. Probably deserves to spend some time in prison. Yeah, maybe forever. Well, the the worst part about it is you'll remember he got caught for this, and while he's out on bond or whatever, he started scamming again. He started selling the concert tickets and meet and greets and stuff that didn't exist using the emailed list he had from Fire Festival. So he got caught, got indicted, and like while he was awaiting sentencing and all that, was uh, conning again. That's so probably on that. He actually went to jail. That is correct. I was like, wow, the, like, I guess all the proceedings were happening. He began to, uh, I forget the guy's name that he worked with. It wasn't Ja Rule, but another guy. Yeah, and he started doing it again while he was out and about. Did Ja Rule get in any trouble on that? No, Ja, ja, ja Rule, like, everyone just kind of forgot about him. He was like the, uh, the Mo Harris of all this. Like, just kind of his career survived it all. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, that was subtle, and then it was not so subtle when I laughed that way. Well, like I don't even necessarily mean that in a bad way, but like you know, a name like a name that was kind of in the thick of some of that, and then just like you know, nothing really ever happened. First time Maurice Harris has ever been uh, compared to Ja Rule. Eh, probably. I mean, is the comparison inaccurate? I get where you were going with it. Yeah, like. All right. Um, I started to say on a slightly more serious note, but what fun is more serious? Although this is a pretty fascinating story from Bob Nightingale at USA Today. It dropped uh, 20 minutes or so, eh, about an hour and 20 minutes ago. Headline from USA Today, MLB discussing plan to start season in late June playing in home stadiums with realigned league. 
Here's how the story begins. Maybe it's a dream scenario. Maybe it's premature to get excited. Then again, maybe it just might work. Major League Baseball officials have become cautiously optimistic this week that the season will start in late June and no later than July 2nd, playing at least 100 regular season games. That's according to three executives with knowledge of the talks. Not only would baseball be played, it would be played in Major League Parks, but without fans. Major League Baseball is considering a three-division, ten-team plan in which teams play only within their division, a concept that is gaining support among owners and executives. It would abolish the traditional American and National Leagues and realign the divisions based on geography. Pending approval of medical experts and providing that COVID-19 testing is available to the public... The plan would eliminate the need for players to be in isolation and allow them to still play at their home ballparks while simultaneously significantly reducing travel. The divisions would keep many of the natural rivals together while playing each other before an expanded playoff format. So here are your three divisions. Yankees-Mets... Red Sox, world champion Washington Nationals, Orioles, Phillies, Pirates, Blue Jays, Tampa Bay Rays, and Miami Marlins. For a bunch of those, if you were so inclined, they could just be bus trips. I mean, obviously you can't bus to Miami or Tampa Bay, but I mean, you're talking about primarily that Northeast Corridor. So anyway, that would be the East. In the West, you can probably guess the teams. Dodgers and Angels in L.A., San Fran, Oakland, San Diego, the D-backs, the Rockies, the Texas Rangers, the Houston Astros, and the Seattle Mariners. Geographically, that's obviously much bigger, but it's basically the West Coast plus Colorado and Texas. And did Washington. you include the Rangers in that? I did. The Rangers and the Astros, and then everybody else would be West Coast or the state of Colorado. And then the Central, not the AL Central, not the NL Central, just the Central. So the East, the West, and the Central, three 10-team leagues, Cubs and White Sox, Brew Crew, Cardinals, Kansas City, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Minnesota, Atlanta, and Detroit. Atlanta's almost like the outlier in this. I mean, Atlanta, I guess, is as much of an outlier for the Central as Houston and the Texas Rangers are for the West. But you got to put them somewhere. Would it make more sense to have Atlanta in the East? Although I'm not sure who you would take out of the East. Do pitchers hit or do you have a DH? Kind of getting off in the weeds there, aren't you, Rippy? Well, Isn't I mean, it with, under a, the presumption a, they're eliminating the DH at least for this season? Or are they going to go the other way and elim- you know everybody? No, they won't the go DH. the other way. Yeah, pitchers they, don't need everybody to be will have the DH. Wait, I, I'm, I'm what, thinking what, out loud here. Isn't that what Borky said though? Borky said they were going to eliminate the DH. I, I didn't mean. Saying, I, I meant the opposite. Okay, I was, I was saying, like, say, yeah, they would go the other way and let everybody hit. they they would eliminate the pitchers hitting. I got you. Well, I mean, the designated hitter would be 
across the board. Right. Right. That's what we're getting at. By the way, Bob Nightingale, in his next sentence, says, It's too early to expand on the details, the official ca- officials cautioned, with new ideas floated each week. He's probably talking about the logistical details, not necessarily whether or not we have a DH or not. That's a really easy answer, though, right? I mean, you can't have some teams do it and then other teams not do it in the same no. little pod. So the the only way to do it is to... They need to go that route anyway. I mean, pitchers hitting is kind of ridiculous now, isn't it? When half the league doesn't have to do it, and it's mostly just a wasted at bat. I mean, watching a guy up there that has no business being up there most of the time either let three pitches go by where the bat is literally resting on his shoulders and he turns around and walks slowly back to the dugout so he can focus on pitching, it's just a waste of time. They need to get rid of it anyway, so here's a perfect, um, I guess, excuse for it. You play a season with it, and then, well, we can't go back. Boom, you eliminate the D, uh, the. Uh, hey, Borky, you, are you going to answer you, that call? That's baseball purist on line one. Well, yeah, I'm not care. even a purist, but how? Do, why would you penalize teams that have pitchers that are good hitters? Like the Reds had a dude named Michael Lorenzen who was like a regular pinch hitter for them. Well, then let, okay, him, let him hit. Okay, let him be a Then why would you have half why can't the he hit on Daisy? Well, if you want, well, I'm just saying, like, if you wanted to use him when on Daisy pitch, then why couldn't? Why shouldn't you be? You can. You can. Who says you, you can? can? You're saying you're eliminate the pitcher. Hold on. You're eliminating a lot of the strategy, though. I mean, at this point, it's, just, it's like the American we're, League we're managers two different always things. talk about. You just set the lineup, and that's it. You don't really need anything else. Phrasing matters here. We're not eliminating the ability for pitchers to hit. We are making the DH across the board. You see it all the time. Not all the time, but you see it regularly in college baseball. If you want your pitcher to hit, you have a pitcher slash DH. So it's not if mandatory, Steven, you're saying? No, it's not mandatory. Anybody but can hit. The DH but, is part of the lineup, but your pitcher can also be your designated hitter. That way, when he comes out of the game in terms of being on the mound, he stays in the lineup as a hitter. The example, I guess probably the most common example, locally, would be when Stephen Head played at Ole Miss. He was a pitcher slash DH, and then when he came out of the game as a pitcher, he stayed in the game as a DH. Um, more recently, Connor McKay at uh, at Louisville, unbelievable first baseman, Golden Spikes winner, two way player, pitcher DH. Not always. Dan McDonald didn't always use him that way, but he did some. So you can do that. I mean, if you want Madison Bumgarner to hit, if you want Clayton Kershaw to hit because you think he's got long ball power, be our guest. But the DH is universal. Everybody uses it just kind of changes how you build your lineup card. Right? Does that make sense for everybody? I guess, yeah. All right. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Fascinating story. We'll be right back. With you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. A little bit later this afternoon on the Farm Bureau phone line, we will visit with our friend TJ Reeves. He is the sideline reporter for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That is all of a sudden a really interesting franchise in the NFL. They got some quarterback that a bunch of people have heard of, they got some pretty good wide receivers. They had a pretty nice draft. And um, anyway, Buccaneers are fascinating again. 
When's the last time Tampa Bay was interesting? When they drafted not, Jameis? 2007. Not to be well actually, guy, but they really were kind of a fascinating watch last year. With the way they yeah, played but, and like all the like everything was either a long ball or a turnover. Like it, it really was wild. Like but every wasn't game it fascinating they, to watch in the way that a train wreck is fascinating to watch. I mean, I mean not kind of, but they they like beat the Titans. They beat the Titans in Nashville in one of the crazier games I've ever seen. I, I would say yeah. Jameis isn't boring. I guess is my point. But That's you mean like as far as the relevancy? Wouldn't it have to be the Gruden days? Yeah, I'd say so. Borky, you before, said 2007? Yeah, when they won a Super Bowl back in the Gruden days. That was 2007? I believe so. That's not right. Or was it 03? everybody. Huh? I, I thought it was 07. Maybe I'm just way off. 03. 03, yeah. Okay, so yeah. my correction was right. And between that 07 and Jameis, was the uh, the Patriots' perfect year, wasn't it? Until they lost to the Giants, they won the South in '07 for whatever that's worth. Hey. That was their last playoff appearance. That's where I, I pulled that number from. And between then and Jameis, all they were really known for were smashing people's head ends on kneel downs under Greg Schiano. You remember that, where they wouldn't hold off on kneel downs and they would just I do bull that. rush. Yeah. By the way, there were some people that uh, kind of took exception to the whole taking beer out of Neyland Stadium thing. We were just having fun with that. We weren't literally like trying to rewrite laws and prison sentences and whatnot. John says victimless crime and value shouldn't be marked up to the retail value. Most thefts are listed at retail value paid. If the delinquents had injured themselves, it is easy to see a lawsuit in the future. You can do... Uh, well, hold on now. Hold on. John says that he has 40 years as a police officer and a deputy sheriff, and that's why he takes that approach in looking at things. The delinquents. They're kids doing dumb kid things. Come on now. Yes, but, I mean, isn't that kind of the definition of a delinquent? So I'm a delinquent, then. Yeah, well, well we knew that. that's not new we knew news that going I, into this discussion. Yeah, I've never been arrested, never gotten in trouble, got really good grades, got a college degree, I'm married to a wonderful woman, and have a great kid. Yeah, I'm a delinquent because I broke into some stadiums, and uh, yeah, I'm just Put it on your awful. resume. I mean, if if only the police would have arrested me and made an example out of me, I'd have become a model citizen. Yeah, give me a break. I don't even know what I am. Delinquent, as defined by... Well, I would say Google, but for some reason, Yahoo has taken over my search engine and it's driving me crazy. Anyway, uh, delinquent, showing or characterized by a tendency to commit crime, particularly minor crime, <laughs> typically of a young person or that person's behavior. Oh, man. It's just over and People that say the few texts that we got from that position act like, I mean, they were just perfect. And when they were kids, didn't do something a little stupid. It's it's absurd. Anyway, we can move on from that. I just <sighs> For the on the baseball thing that would presumably, if they go with this strategy, that means you will get. Who that was a jump it, cut, Rippy? Wow. Sorry, I was. Uh, I mentioned this to Borky during the break. I was. Uh, I was not right, advocating. Time, no, hold on, hold on. Let's reset real quick. Story from USA Today's Bob Nightingale saying that Major League Baseball has a plan in place. 
that people are really excited about that would look very different starting end of June as late as July or uh, as late as July 2nd playing 100 games in the regular season expanded playoff format three divisions no American League no National League three divisions the East the West and the Central and we were debating the merits of what do you do with the DH carry on I was just you would get a bunch of uh, Dodgers Astros games wouldn't you Well, yeah, they're in the same division. Right. When normally you wouldn't get that at all unless the AL West and NL West were paired together in interleague play that year. So, I, you know, Beautiful. I don't think, love it. I don't think that 17 World Series beef is exactly squashed yet, I guess, is what I was kind of getting at. Be like watching Ole Miss and LSU play every week for me. I'd be like, what, what am I supposed to do? One of the things that the story says is one of the additional benefits to playing in Major League Cities is it would alleviate a possible split among players who are opposed to playing the entire season in Arizona, Florida, Texas. Several high-profile players, including Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw, expressed strong resistance to playing the season away from their families. Major League Baseball and union officials have yet to engage in formal discussions about the financial ramifications of playing without fans. Three owners tell USA Today Sports three weeks ago that they would refuse to play unless the players were willing to take a pay cut. Four other team officials insist that they would require financial relief from the players. That doesn't seem unreasonable, does it? I guess, but it's just another, you know, the billionaire owners are going to say, ah, could you help us out here a little bit? You know, we, we don't pay for our own stadiums and we don't, we take, we need all these tax breaks and now we can't really pay our players too. Uh, Scott Boris proposed that players report to spring training in May, beginning with pitchers and catchers. Players would be isolated from the population from three to four weeks, grouping them according to whether they ever tested positive with no symptoms, were hospitalized, have recovered with antibodies, or tested negatives. Uh, tested negative. Boris said, we have strong young athletes, and we can ready them. They want to create a return to normalcy, and certainly our national pastime is a sign of that. One executive said, this is going to be a season like we've never seen, but that's fine. It, it's at least a season. I'll take it. Doesn't it feel like everybody's on board with different is okay? It may not be okay forever, but different is okay for now because it's something, and something is way better than nothing. I mean, different just seems inevitable at this point. It has to be, yeah. and that's okay. I mean, our lives are going to be different for a, a really long time. Like, Georgia, every, Georgia's getting a, a bunch of crap for reopening, although Colorado is as well, and nobody even mentions that Colorado is. But they're not opening up and operating as normal in Georgia, the state that's getting all the heat for it. They have all these restrictions, and you have to wear masks, and stores have to be at most 50% occupancy, and stuff like that. Our lives are going to be different for months, for a while, until this thing can be treated with regularity. So until that happens, we just have to accept it and enjoy what we can get. Sports Talk Mississippi poll question. Michael Borky? Have you ever broken into a stadium before? And if so, which one? 
So far, 192 votes. 60%. Yep. Oh, man, a bunch of criminals of are listeners. No. They should all be locked up. How dare they? Right. Each and every one of you. Some of the responses in terms of where... Ryan says, yes, but the statute of limitations might not be up yet. <laughs> and he gives us a gift that says, nice try. Uh, Ford says, the hump, Davis Wade, the dude, etc. Uh, Tyler says, didn't somebody have an accident or die in Davis Wade a couple of years ago? They did. Uh, used to sit in the south end zone at Davis Wade and drink a beer or two on random nights in the summer before security beefed up due to the accident. Real Friday Night Lights vibe there. Uh, Christopher uh, says, does walking in an unsecured gate count? Sure. Uh, Tyler says, a couple of buddies and I got into Vault Hemingway uh, during our freshman year. Good times. Charlie climbed a fence to touch the goalpost crossbar in Neyland at 1986. Uh, Coach Nutt. I don't know if it's that Coach Nutt. I don't think so. Scott Field and Doak Campbell at Florida State. He says, I had a key to the hump, so technically did not break in to play pickup basketball with my buddies. That was while he was a student at Mississippi State. Going to guess that's not Coach Houston Nutt. Uh, the dude to watch practice and enjoy a couple of cold ones. Boise State. It was my first time to Boise, and I had to see the Smurf turf. I plan on going back one day. Vaught-Hemingway twice. Here's a unique one. Charlotte Motor Speedway saw Jeff Gordon testing. It's cool. Uh, didn't really break in, but it was in the hump a few times when I technically wasn't supposed to be there. Yeah, I most think... of the time you can get in without really trying. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming at supertalk.fm, online at supertalktv.com. We will be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Don't forget about the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. Equip your organization for simple, successful business continuity with a work-from-anywhere toolkit from Seaspire Business, featuring powerful resources like UC1 and Office 365. Learn more today at cspire.com slash business. An active day on the Seaspire text line. Uh, somebody said, so this is how the American League is going to finally force the DH on the National League. Somebody also pointed out that American League rosters are built to have a designated hitter, whereas National League rosters are generally speaking built with an extra pitcher and that that might give the American League a bit of an advantage. Agree? I would agree Disagree? with that. That's a good point. Also affects your 40-man. How much of an advantage? Thing. That That's a genuine question. If it's just, what, adding uh, how many more players do you have to adjust to make it as even as possible? I mean, if you eliminated, if you're obviously, if you're obviously, well, I mean, 
I don't know if it would be because if you played by these rules, then your roster would be constructed differently. Right. So I, my question is how how much? Like, what would they have to do? The, the teams that have uh, forced their pitchers well, to hit, if you will, uh, what kind of adjustments do they need to make? Like, how far does this stretch in order to get as equal as possible uh, to their counterparts? It would Maybe just. It's, it's, I, I could be wrong, but I could be wrong. Tell me if I am, but. When you think like the American League teams have spent a, a large chunk of salary on, on on a hitter to be their DH, that the National League teams have not. So I mean, they, they, they by you know they're, they're just going to have some guy who's making a lot of money to be their DH, who's probably a really good hitter. Whereas the the NL benches are made up of a bunch of guys who are utility players and can be pinch hitters and things of that nature. But there's no big bat like some of the AL teams are going to have. Yeah, maybe to some degree, but I would just think it would be a pretty, like, I mean, that's a good point, but I think it would be a fairly easy fix. You would just kind of change the way your roster is constructed, like with the guys that you have. I don't think there's any, like, gigantic philosophical uh, difference in how teams spend just because, like, National League versus American League. I mean, to some degree, sure, but I don't think it's a huge, huge thing. Yeah, I guess I feel like most teams have a guy that, can hit that they just assume not be in the everyday defensive lineup, even in the National League. I mean, it's not like you only have nine players plus pitchers on your roster, and you can well, fill out the DH. Maybe it's just being a Giants fan, none the, of those guys can hit. And in, in the NL, they just try to hide them as really crappy corner outfielders. Yeah, so maybe you can get one a better defensive player in and still have that hitter in the lineup. Are teams going to object to this because of a potential advantage or disadvantage or no? No, I think they want to play ball. I guess there's a lot of money on the line, huh? I think, not just for baseball, but I think you're going to see a lot of people around the world changing some stuff they would normally do because they just want to get back to normal as, as quickly as possible. We talked about it a little bit on the podcast today. We, we said, you know, normally with a hotel, you know, you make your reservation during football season and that just is what it is. But who wants to be that hotel who, who's just getting lit up on Twitter saying, "Oh, they wouldn't they wouldn't switch dates around for me or or or, or however that's going to work?" I think a lot of people are just going to have to you know suck it up and say, "Okay, if we want to get back to normal, we we got to do some things that we've never done before because this is a situation we've never been in before." Yeah, I think that's reasonable, and I'm not even sure at this point outside of. Well, it's how it's always been, and it's how it always needs to be. I'm not entirely sure what the argument is for no DH anymore. I mean, I, I know that the tenets of the argument are strategy, pitcher, double switch, blah, 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 blah. But really, every level of baseball, except the 15 teams in the National League, have a designated hitter. Every level. I mean, maybe you don't have it in seven-year-old T-ball where everybody gets to hit anyway. But from the time that you get to high school baseball, maybe even junior varsity baseball, so junior varsity baseball, varsity high school baseball, junior college, division one, two, three, all the minor league levels, and half of the major league You've got the designated hitter. You don't have it in the National League. And 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 I don't really know what people are holding on to at this point. 
Does it make the game less good to have a guy that swings it better than your average pitcher? No, it makes the game better. Well, it changes the strategy. Eh, does it really? Does it change the strategy that much in those three or four games in the World Series that you play when you're in the American League Stadium? Yeah, a lot of when National he, League teams that love the idea of getting a better bat in the lineup when they're on the road. What when sport has pre- not had an evolution in strategy? I mean, it's predominantly just like the main thing that comes comes up is well, I'll say it after. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, rolling into the 5 o'clock hour. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We'll bounce down to the state of Florida, the greater Tampa Bay, St. Pete area. That's where T.J. Reeves is standing by. He's the sideline reporter for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and does a whole bunch of other stuff on the radio and on television. T.J., we talked a few weeks back after the the Tom Brady news became official. Seems like there's a lot of exciting stuff that has happened, though, in the, uh, what, two, three weeks since. No doubt. Good to be with you guys, and it has not been dull. That is for sure down here, because not only is Tom Brady headed this way from the Patriots, but how about Rob Gronkowski, fresh off of the 24-7 WWE Championship win at WrestleMania, something that I know Richard was following very closely, has now retired from pro wrestling and has unretired from pro football. And my friend, who had that in the script? When all of this began, pretty wild. Yeah, certainly nobody had it in the script. There is, I think, a question, and it's a legitimate question, of what can he contribute. You you look at the last year, two years ago, when he played in the league, uh, only three touchdown catches. Regular season wasn't much to write home about battled injuries. But then he pops up in the Super Bowl, and he's got six big catches, and he's kind of a a safety valve target, uh, an old familiar friend for Tom Brady. How much does this help Brady and, and Tampa Bay's offense? That is the great unknown, as you just referenced, especially off another year layoff. You would think in the red zone, especially, that he's going to be effective, and I know we'll get to some of Tampa Bay's other personnel in a second, though, too. But you're right. I mean, we don't know how banged up he is. I mean, he admitted in his media Zoom call with all of the uh, assembled Tampa Bay and even national media that he's had 12, count them, 12 surgeries on his elbow, on his knee, on his back. He was beaten up physically, and you don't get younger. And so now the question becomes, how much will that wear and tear affect how much he's able to play in this season? How much they will use him? Is he is he a guy that can be out there 30 or 40 snaps a game every game for 16 games? I mean, all of these things are great unknowns right now. So I think that's a legitimate concern. But here's the other thing. You know when you line him up that defenses are now going to have to game plan and scheme against him. And that's what's going to free up other people too, Richard. TJ, when it's all said and done, I mean, as successful as Tom Brady has been, we know what Gronkowski was when he was healthy. Were these guys just mentally drained in terms of dealing with Bill Belichick and the Patriot way and all that goes along with that? Despite what they may say publicly, obviously that has to be part of it because there is no doubt that winning comes at a price, especially in that mindset, in that mode. Um, But at the same time, I think both of those guys 
really embraced the process, the way in which it all went. I think in Brady's case, he was looking for one more challenge somewhere else, somehow else. I never, I never believed he was going to play anywhere else, by the way, Richard. I think uh, we talked about this briefly on your show a couple, three weeks ago, the last time that I was on when he had signed, that I really believed he would retire a Patriot, that he would either play this season for New England or retire. But ultimately, there had to be some motivation, and he's talked openly about this. He wanted to try it somewhere else. He wanted to try it somewhere else where they could win and win big immediately, and he believes that that's Tampa Bay. Now, Gronkowski said last week when he met with the media that if Brady had still been in New England and had called him and said, what about coming up, coming out of retirement, leaving wrestling, coming out of retirement and playing, that he would have seriously considered playing in New England with him. How much of that do we believe? How much do we believe he would have been lured out of wrestling to come back to the Patriots? I don't know. That's up for debate, but it's a good question. I don't know how you measure coolness in terms of NFL coaches. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury, you know, the bachelor pad, the $5 million deal, you know, the not a that stitch out of place. That looked very similar to the Richard uh, Cross inside of the house, if I'm not yeah. mistaken there, that Cliff Kingsbury shot there for the draft. That's, that's very similar to your layout, if I, if I have that correct. Yes, my home with uh, with three kids and three dogs looks exactly <laughs> like Cliff Kingsbury's. Let me tell you, that's ex- exactly uh, us, on a different end of, of the scale. Live in his living room size, there. Most of us are accommodated with our kids in what was in that living room. It looked like so. Yes, we can all fantasize. So, so different end of the coolness scale. You've got Andy Reid, who's completely comfortable in his own skin with his Hawaiian shirts, and then there is Bruce Arians who looked like he couldn't be any more comfortable sitting on his back patio. There just happened to be a bunch of computer monitors there, which I assume are not normally there when he's sitting out having a drink and is kicking back uh, in the evenings. What about the... Bruce Arians is a really fascinating guy in NFL circles. What do we need to know about him? Uh, You just said it. Really cool guy, genuine guy. And players want to play for him because he is a genuine guy. And let's Let's talk about something else that doesn't get near the attention uh, as, his, as his coolness, his work with quarterbacks. Uh, the diversity that he has had throughout his coaching career uh, on his staffs, his coordinators that are, that are black. I mean, Todd Bowles obviously became a head coach with the Jets because he had been with Bruce as the, the uh, defensive coordinator in Arizona. Uh, by the same token, Byron Leftwich is being groomed as the offensive coordinator. I mean, you know, you, you can't say there are guarantees in life. You know, death and yeah. taxes are supposed to be a, a guarantee. Uh, Michael Jordan in the NBA Finals is supposed to be a guarantee, as we're, as we're learning now when we watch that series. But Byron Leftwich is going to be a head coach sooner rather than later, and maybe next year, maybe 2021 in the NFL. So the fact that, that when Bruce Arians came here, all of his coordinators, including his run game coordinator, his special teams coordinator, all minority coaches. So I don't think that gets near enough attention. Uh, you know, Bruce was, was the first player, uh, back in the day at Virginia Tech to have a black roommate in the 1970s. So hmm. again, for all the accolades about working with quarterbacks, success in winning games, I, I think the diversity that he has brought to the coaching tree and giving that opportunity, I know the, the minority coaches fellowship raves, raves about his track record here over the, over the last couple of stops and the opportunities that he's given. And if you have your young children around him, earmuffs. Mm, 
Absolutely. And you know what? what's hilarious <laughs> is that he will catch himself at times, too, when, he, when he's getting ready to do radio, when he's getting ready to do stuff. But you're absolutely right that a, a lot of it and, – and here's the, here's the thing that, that works with it. He is well-liked by the officials, for example, because he will go to them and, and blow up, but he will also come back to them and go, hey, in a quiet moment, I'm sorry, you guys were right. We've seen the replay. I screwed that up. I'm just out of my mind. I'm old. You know, that kind of stuff. So he goes back and forth with them. But uh, you talk about honesty. He is going to give you brutal honesty uh, on on whether you did right or whether you screwed up. And people want to play for that, Richard. They they gravitate. Tell me where I stand. Tell me, tell me what I did right. Tell me what I did wrong. And so... Uh, you know, again, it's it's a good natured thing. A, a lot of a lot of the time, he understands uh, that it's a way to motivate. But he is also a genuine guy. He is a guy that'll put his arm around you and coach you up and laugh with you and joke with you, joke about his golf game, joke about whatever uh, with people. So there's a real genuineness to him as well. TJ, as I've fun. got a couple of I got a couple of friends that are, are football officials. And they've said, you know, not only do you ner- learn some new words sometimes when you're around him, sentence structure is, is fascinating. His ability to craft a sentence out of some of those words is sometimes a learning experience. But they said, honestly, from from a like a profanity standpoint, you don't even it doesn't register because it's just Bruce. That's just how he talks. Well, and you and you have to understand that in the pro sports culture, I mean. Everybody is getting an eye-opening thing back to the Jordan documentaries that we're all watching on Sunday night. To hear Michael Jordan, who's on all the commercials for the Gatorade, right, Richard, and the Nike shoes and McDonald's and all of that, use the language that he's using on that documentary has shocked a lot of people. And what I have said for many years is you almost become in pro sports immune to this or used to this because it's just common not that not that you necessarily agree with it, but it's just it's everywhere. So I understand. I, I get it. It's not the way that I go about it. There are others that don't go about it. That's the way that that Arians is going to get his point across. And there's far more that are going to yeah. get it across with the colorful language in the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball arguments. I mean, the late Earl Weaver was legendary for uh, the four-letter words and, and the vulgarity flying at the umpires during arguments. Um, and so, I mean, this is just part of it with pro sports. But I think the comparison to watching those documentaries with Michael Jordan, how ear-opening, if you will, that has been, is kind of taking some people aback as an example. TJ, hard break coming up. 30 seconds. How big of an impact does Tristan Wirfs happen, uh, have this year? First-round pick, offensive lineman, assumingly brought in to help Tom Brady. Huge. Huge need. They needed a starter. All Big Ten offensive linemen. It is the one thing they were focused on getting better and getting, and they got it in the first round. So, yes, he needs to have a huge impact, and he's got a lot of upside. There's no doubt. TJ, always enjoy the visits. Thanks for your time this afternoon. You guys be well. Thank you, and uh, let's, let's keep plugging along and look towards sports for this summer and this fall. Thank you, Richard. Absolutely. Tampa Bay Bucks going to be fun this year. That was TJ Reeves. He is the sideline reporter on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers radio network. Joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Just finished up with TJ Reeves on the Farm Bureau phone line. Again, the website favorites.com. Uh, 
That's Mississippi Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. If you missed the conversation with TJ or anything else today or any other day for that matter, you can always go back and grab it on the Super Talk Mississippi Sports Talk Mississippi podcast. Uh, You can subscribe to the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Just search Sports Talk Mississippi to get the latest show on your device anywhere, anytime. While you're there, you can also subscribe to Thunder and Lightning. That's hosted by Brian Haydeb with Joel Coleman. The Rebel Report with Michael Borky and Brian Scott Rippey. And, of course, the Super Talk Eagle Hour podcasts. If you are looking for Southern Miss news, that co-hosted by uh, our good friend Luke Johnson, who you hear from on a fairly regular basis. And also a, a relatively new component to this show is the uh, the video stream that goes along with it. You can watch what happens during Sports Talk Mississippi live or on demand on your computer or on your phone or your tablet, wherever. Just go to supertalk.fm slash watch. You can get it on Roku and Amazon Fire TV. Search Supertalk or you can uh, just go to supertalk.fm slash connect to get connected on your smart device. If you didn't hear something or you didn't see something, it's because it's not because we haven't made it available to you in a bunch of different ways. Trying to make it as user-friendly as possible. Hey, anything that, uh, that TJ said that jumped out to you with regard to Tom Brady or Gronk or Tristan Wirfs or kind of just what this Buccaneers team could be? Is Bruce Arians the most interesting character in that organization? I got a kick out of y'all describing him basically as the dad from a Christmas story. Some artists work in acrylics, others in oil. Bruce Arians works in profanity. (laughs) He does. He's a true artist, a master. A painter of tapestries, if you will. (laughs) If you will. Uh, Yeah. So um, if they win the Super Bowl, will there be billboards all over the state? Do what? If what? the Bucks win a Super Bowl, will Mississippi State put billboards everywhere? Oh, because yeah, yeah, we could, they oh. could get away with that. Yeah, used to be a coach here. <laughs> he was the OC. Hang a banner. There's been a little bit of a changing of the guard in terms of who was making some of those decisions over the course of a few years in Starkville. So I, I don't know if billboards are as big a part of the marketing repertoire as they were in recent years. Uh, I don't think it as much. They, they still pop up every now and then. They do? Yeah. There you go. Uh, Borky, you asked the question today. I'll throw it out there uh, as well. What is the one specific thing you miss the most about sports? Any thoughts, fellas? Going to get a, a little sappy here. It's uh, conversations with my dad. We still talk, but it, it, he was a sports fan. And, and so, so when no I was sports gr- dad, we can't talk. <laughs> um, but it was what we bonded over when I was a kid. That's why I played everything in the book, because I knew like if I got to go to practice, dad would take me to practice, and dad would be there. And then it evolved into that's what would keep us on the phone longer, like when I went to college and since I've been away – that was what we always would talk about the most and what we bonded over. And so I miss being able to call my dad after a game and talk to him about it. It just we, we don't have those conversations anymore. It's mostly about yard work and the weather, and those don't last as long. So that's what I miss the most specifically is 
having those conversations with my dad that last much longer than our current ones because sports is what we bonded over. Okay. Rippy, anything specific that you miss about sports right now? Yeah, midweek games. (laughs) Shut up. I don't know, just having live action on television on a nightly basis. I miss yeah. baseball in general. I just which would include midweek games. <laughs> yes. Technically. I don't know. It's just like it's it's weird going home now every single night and like just like it's like it's now the norm that I know there's nothing on television and I I like I'll probably never take that for granted again. I even watch like I guess I'm one in the minority that like I got enjoy watching like any sort of Major League Baseball game, but I feel like that's the kind of stuff that people won't take for granted now when you're like, oh, there's no good games on television tonight. Like, you'll peep a little bit of that Tuesday night, you know, Nuggets jazz or something, even if you're not that big of a hoops fan. You know, I always talk about college football, about how there's no bad weekends in college football. This is what I'm talking about. It's just in you general. Gotta, you got to treasure it, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, honestly, I, I was just going to so- say, Rippy, in, in, in an alternate universe, we're an hour and ten minutes from first pitch between Ole Miss and the Arkansas State Red Wolves at the old ballpark. Tommy Raffo coming after there Ole Miss. The, uh, and that was a rescheduled game, right? It got postponed. It was supposed to be the first week of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe uh, I just made that up. I think up. you're right. I don't know. Maybe. Got to squeeze that one in. That but, was 25 years ago, Rippy. How can anybody remember? We were also supposed to... Uh, like we're supposed to be kind of getting in the heat of the golf major season at this point. This is one of the better like like the late like mid May, like in a couple of weeks is kind of when the golf season really starts ramping up and we'll be kind of robbed of that to some degree. I mean, you'll get golf just not the normal major slate. Hey Dad, what was Mississippi State's record baseball when the season ended? 12 and 6. Is that right? Uh they they well, they lost 2, 3, uh, maybe 4 or 5 losses, yeah, something like that. I, I don't recall off the top of my head. I'll, I'll pull it up, it up, but yeah. But what, what I would their record it, be? What would their record be right now, overall and in league play? Oh gosh, how many games would they have played? Uh, uh, okay, they were twelve and four, not twelve and six. They were twelve and four. Yeah, they would have played seven weeks of conference play, so we would be twenty-one games into league play. Remaining would be Alabama. Yeah. Missouri and Vanderbilt. That's all that would be left in terms of league play on the schedule. They they'd be fourteen and seven. Okay. Yeah, well, that overall record doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean they would have they probably wouldn't have lost another non conference game, so they'd be I don't know, something like twenty eight and eleven, something like that. For the record, the non conference games would have been against Southeastern Louisiana. Win. UAB win. Memphis, win. UT Martin, win. South Alabama, win. Maybe a loss. Ole Miss in the Governor's Cup, win. <laughs> they still would have had Southern to uh, play. Uh, Southern and Southern North Alabama would have been left. University? Southern University. Yeah. I mean, you're just all of a sudden kind of chalking up those SWAC school wins. <laughs> yeah, call me crazy. You learn from, you learn from your mistakes. Rippy, what would Ole Miss's record be in league play? How many weekends are you through? Seven. 21 games.
It would be really a, towards the back end of that brutal stretch, right, where they went like state, South Carolina, and then like Vandy, Florida, Georgia, all in a row. Um, I'm having more trouble with the math than anything else at this point. Let's go. Not a math guy. That's okay. How many? If, games if you tell me how many losses, I will give you the overall record in league play. If that would help you. So, <laughs> So 21 games, I'll go 12 and 9. Huh. Really? Yeah, because, I mean, I'm not saying. You got them in a tailspin. Why would that be? They were 16 and 1 when the season ended. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I I messed that up. I was thinking SEC record. Yes. Seven weeks. Yes. Yeah. 12 and 9 through that schedule, I would say, is pretty good. Particularly, Mike's team seemed to play. Better in the second half and sent team to come on strong. I would say getting through that at twelve and nine is in pretty good position. Twelve and nine would have them in a hosting spot. They, they're when hosting, the, yeah. With, with yeah. that schedule, with that RPI, yeah. They're I thought hosting. that was pretty good. And by the way, they would have had Georgia, Auburn, and Alabama remaining. Richard, the old and Homer just, up there. Why aren't they undefeated? You had the, Mississippi you just, State lost to Texas Southern, and you had them fourteen and seven. Fourteen and seven. You just had a. Well, and you you just had them go at Florida. They have a road trip at Georgia awaiting, and you had Vanderbilt the weekend before. Twelve and nine after that stretch, I yeah, imagine they would have taken twelve and that. nine. Rippy was optimistic there. I feel. All right, fair enough. Let's see what would Mississippi State have finished with? Missouri. Uh, uh, okay, Vanderbilt, Missouri, Alabama. So the, the the next three weekends would have been it would have been Alabama on the road this weekend, Missouri at home, the and then you, at Vanderbilt. West. If fourteen, if they're fourteen and seven with that three. Those three series, you have a legit chance to win the West and, and maybe go twenty and nine or uh, twenty one and nine. Twenty and ten. With the, there, league, yeah. with the way the league was, you'd have a decent shot at winning it at twelve and nine, depending on how the like cross divisional series stacked up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, Vandy is probably at this point like eighteen and and three. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You think Vandy found themselves? Yes. They got the most okay. talent, yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi, college football fix when we come back with you. Eric in Batesville says, I miss sports in general, but especially travel softball. But it has been nice to have life in general slowing down a bit as far as a family fishing and whatnot. And I get that. I mean, I've missed the heck out of college baseball season because I love it so much and would have been working a lot, but I haven't worked a weekend since March 7th. Saturday, March 7th was the last basketball game I did. I haven't had to work a weekend since, and that is a different kind of normal for me that has not been all bad. Um, can't last forever, and thankfully it's not going to, but uh, have tried to soak it up along the way. Hey, Dad, I don't think I, I got to you asking the question, uh, the one thing in sports that you miss the most it's 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 just being at the game it's just and then you know obviously the way i take in games is a little different than the way the fans take in games but just getting to the stadium and you know cracking jokes with the with the rest of the bozos on the beat up here and uh you know just you know taking in the atmosphere and you know all that all just those little things you know doing a podcast at 11 o'clock at night because i didn't get home that's when the game ended that's you know when you had to start recording just you know my, my i'm a creature of routine i'm i really don't like change 
And uh, as you guys could probably tell from my time on this podcast or on this uh, radio show, that I just I just don't like it. So it, it's really thrown me off to not you know those Tuesdays and Wednesdays to not be at the at Duty Noble is it's been weird to get around. Yeah, you know I think for me that it, it, it's similar. So this would be specific to baseball season. I love the ballpark. And that is a generic, the ballpark, not a specific, the ballpark. I love Swayze when when that's the spot. I love going to games at Duty Noble. Haven't worked that many of them there. I mean, I've done two or three baseball TV games at Mississippi State over the course of, I don't know, a decade. And they've always been great. But I like just kind of going and meandering around and, you know, saying hi to a few people that I know that are in the outfield and taking it in from all the different places that you can watch. I love Alec Box in Baton Rouge. I love Baum Stadium. I like Plainsman Park at Auburn. I love Major League, but I love ballparks and going an entire spring with no ballpark activity to speak of. Whether it's a game that I'm working or it's the you know the rare one that I'm able to sneak away to with Jane and my kids and you know make 14 trips to the concession stand over the course of three innings, there's there's something about that for me. So that, that's been it for me this spring. Um, we owe you a college football fix. Let's do that right now. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Pretty good incentives going on on the F-150 right now. Throw on your face mask, your face covering, and go test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer and see how you can save and get behind the wheel of an F-150, the best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years. The NCAA's Oversight Committee has given a six-week standard time needed to prepare for a season, giving us clarity on when a decision needs to be made for a season to begin. From Watch Stadium, I'm assuming this is a Brett McMurphy story. That's right. The six-week period will not be officially recommended until the committee receives the necessary approval of the NCAA COVID-19 advisory panel. There's some boards and panels that you wouldn't mind being a part of. I don't know that that's one I'd really want to be on, but nevertheless. That approval could come later this week. The six-week time frame, if formally approved, is significant because it would give universities a better indication of when exactly the college football season could start, a time frame that's dependent on allowing students to return to campus this fall in the first place. Season is scheduled to start August 29th with seven games involving 12 FBS teams, meaning that those student-athletes would need to report around July 20th to get the necessary six weeks in. The remaining 118 FBS schools that do not play their opener until the following week, between Thursday, September 3rd and Monday, September 7th, would need to report around July 27th. If students are not able to return to campus by late July or early August, it's likely that the season would not begin on time as scheduled. And because the six-week guideline has not been formally approved, it's unknown if the six-week period would be mandatory or whether football programs 
could receive exemptions to play with only four or five weeks to prepare since universities could be opening up fall classes on different dates. So, what does that mean? It means if the season's going to start as scheduled at the end of August, the decision needs to be made six weeks ahead of time, basically. it's we, no, we just, mean, That means that when they've got to be there, the decision's right. got to be made way before that. June 15th? June 15th. That gives you a month to get everything in place to get going on July 20th-ish. And then you get started. This, I know we've had a show of optimism today, and I don't think this is a negative angle. I do think that a six-week period tells me that you could probably, this is speculating, expect a delayed start. Because are you going to know six weeks SEC Media Days out? is scheduled for July 13th through the 16th in Atlanta. I don't expect that to happen. But can you, I mean, six weeks out, know that every campus is going to be open? That's the layer to this that I guess is being lost because, I mean, California is probably going to be last, right? So... On June 15th, is California going to say, yes, our campuses will be open by the end of August? And the answer is going to be no. So do you do you proceed without them or do you try to wait on them? That's why, because of all this, I anticipate a delayed start. Six weeks is a, a long time. And as you said, that's when you have to start preparing for the season, not when you have to have a decision made to start preparing for the season. So... When I read this, I thought, it's good that we're going to have a guideline. But since not everybody's going to be able to say we're opening our campus this fall, the season's going to be delayed. That is my anticipation. If if you get six weeks before the start of the season, don't you anticipate that there's a mandatory two weeks of no contact stuff? Yeah, it'll all be weight training, conditioning, classroom type preparedness and then practice maybe you're allowed i don't know three hours a week on the field in shorts and t-shirts but aside from that it's all conditioning and uh, of actual football activity but it's no contact stuff i don't i don't know i'm just kind of spitballing there we probably need to uh, need to circle back with John Cohen. It's been all well, three weeks or so, maybe a month since we've talked with him, and also with Keith Carter, and try to kind of get an idea of what they're hearing and what they're open to, what they think makes sense. Brett McMurphy writes: If student athletes are not able to return to campus by late July or early August, it's likely that the season would not begin on time as scheduled. A number of major universities around the country, including Iowa and Iowa State, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Washington State, have indicated that they are planning on having on-campus classes in the fall. Are we on the right path with six weeks, a source asked. That would be optimal, but without the input of medical experts, we don't know for sure. On Monday, Florida coach Dan Mullen said SEC coaches would prefer to have eight weeks to prepare for a season, but he added that six weeks would work. Four weeks, he said, and you're pressing it. Other coaches have recommended anywhere between four and ten weeks to get players ready for games. Ten weeks. <sighs> okay. 
seems, seems a bit much. Shut up. Who asked the Harvard president to weigh in on how long you needed to get a football team to get ready? Hey, man, they just had a grad transfer go down to LSU. They obviously are doing something right. Yeah. It was great with Andrew Hatch a few years ago. That's right. Yeah. You thought of that I name about it. You talk about a name I had just forgotten. I had forgotten that guy ever existed. Mm-hmm. What I mean, could you just put a universal start date in and say, look, we realize that 12 of you play a week earlier. We're putting a six-week window in, period. It's not our fault you scheduled in the dog days of August. I guess they would just make an exception for those schools and let them come in a week earlier. Yeah. I think this is a really good point. Um, we get a text here, 251 area code. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to push back the start of college football. The first three games are so hot anyway. I don't disagree with that. Like, in perpetuity. Yes. Like, if we went back to the 60s when game one happened the last week of September. I, I don't hate that idea at all. Let's play the third or fourth week of September through the second week of December, have championship games on the third week of December, take a week off for Christmas and convene with some bowl games. I am in, sign me up, in perpetuity.
Talk Mississippi Media Production.